Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Before we dive into the heart of this episode, we have some exciting updates to share with you. This week, we shine the spotlight on Brookwood Recreation Flag Football set to kick off in April. Additionally, mark your calendars for the upcoming Collective Night of Worship at the end of February. Stay tuned at the end of today's episode for more details on these events. Today, we conclude our series, Jesus at the Center of Freedom. Executive Pastor J.C. Thompson will be leading us through a thought-provoking exploration of the theme of salvation. So whether you're at home or on the go or wherever you may be, grab your headphones, find a comfortable spot, and prepare yourself for a powerful and uplifting message. Without further delay, let's welcome Executive Pastor J.C. Thompson as he shares his insights on today's episode. Amen. Hey, good morning, Brookwood. How are you? Good, good. Hey, uh, my name's JC. I'm finishing up our series uh, that we have been traveling through called Jesus at the Center of Freedom. Uh, Originally, I think when Brian slotted me for this date, he was probably hopeful that uh, some team called the Dallas Cowboys would maybe be busy today, but... I'm not sure why he expected anything different than the last 25 years, but no, I'm just kidding. Brian's actually, he's in Michigan today. He's been preaching to a bunch of young people up there at a camp, and so you could be praying for him as he travels back this afternoon uh, and be praying for his sweet wife who's got three children at the house. Praise the Lord. Hey, uh, if, if, uh, if you haven't been with us, we've been traveling through this series. Uh, we started with uh, kind of a church uh, community experience we did together called Breakthrough, uh, where we were trying to lean in to what God's Spirit may be doing, not only in our church, but in our personal lives. Uh, and then we've been traveling, talking through the idea of Jesus truly setting us free, talking about the ministries of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. And today, the subject I'll be tackling uh, will be salvation. From Luke chapter 4. You, you read the scriptures. I want to give you my, uh, my theme verse for today from Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It just says this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And today I'm going I'm to attempt to talk through this idea of Jesus coming to give salvation uh, to people. And uh, for me, I'll just tell you, salvation is an interesting term. If you grew up in the South, uh, you could probably tell I grew up from the South uh, with the way that I'm talking, although today my voice is a little, uh, a little more wise than normal with all the, the congestion I'm, I'm feeling. Um, but I'll just tell you, growing up in the South, this word salvation uh, is something we talk about. And I, I kind of, you know, I've been prepping for a few weeks, but Brian talked about this verse last week when he was talking about physical healing. And he said, Jesus is looking at the crowd in Matthew chapter 9, verse 5, and he just says this. He said, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? And I think the crowd at that point in time, as Jesus is communicating to them, I think that crowd would have said, well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because that happens internally and no one can really say for sure or not visibly 
that you have actually forgiven somebody's sin. So it would be harder to say, stand up and walk. And Jesus tells the man to stand up and walk, and he does. This man who's been paralyzed, he stands up and walks. Jesus has the authority over physical healing. But it also got me thinking about the idea that I think it's just as difficult, if not more difficult, to actually say and grant forgiveness of sins. You know, I know my own life. I don't know about y'all. I, don't, I know some of y'all pretty well, so I do know some of your stuff, but I know my own stuff pretty well. And my picture of myself as a human being is very, very fallen. Very, very not, not good. That's a picture I have. Uh, in fact, I've been a follower of Christ for a long time. Some of this stuff just feels like so stuck to you sometimes. You go, is this ever going to really change? But I, I think Christ did come to change that. And I think the, the clearest picture of that is in the offer of salvation that he gives. Now, what is salvation? Well, uh, there used to be this book. We got some middle schoolers in here with us. There used to be this book that when you didn't know what a word said, you'd go and find it off the bookshelf. <laughs> and you would, you'd blow all the dust off of it, and then you'd open it up. Uh, and it was called the Dictionary. Well, this old version of the dictionary uh, says this about salvation. It says salvation is this, the redemption of man from the bondage of sin and the liability to eternal death. Now, if you grew up in the South, you get that part. Because we're sinful human beings, we, we deserve uh, punishment for the wrongdoing in our life. We're bound by that sin, and because of our state of sinfulness apart from some divine intervention, looking at a holy God, this holy God cannot be in the presence of sin, and so the penalty of that sin is eternal death. But I love that the original translation of this word salvation includes this next part. It's not just that. It's also the conferring on him of everlasting happiness. See, it's, salvation is not only about escaping the penalty of our sins. It's also being given something, something that this particular uh, definer of things calls eternal happiness. And for me, I think the word salvation is much bigger than sometimes how we use it. And so you'll see on the screen a whole bunch of terms that are biblical terms that are pieces of salvation. And together, along with many other terms, I think this kind of creates the full definition of what salvation is. But these are just pieces of it. So I'm not going to go over each of these today, but I do want to just point out three of them to you, the ones that are bold up here. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now, those are $2 words. Those $2 words just mean a few things, okay? Uh, I just want you to see these particular words when you think about the word salvation. Okay, first of all, justification. You know, if I grew up in church. I was at, I was at church all the time. Uh, and so I heard this phrase all the time when it came to justification. Justification is God declaring that he sees you just as if you've never sinned. Just as if you've never sinned. So when we surrender to Christ... We are justified in his sight. That is a legal declaration made by God that you are right. You are good. You are perfect. Your name is written in a book where the ink doesn't 
doesn't smear. Your name is in there permanently, and you are a child of God by God's declaration on you. That's justification. And I think that's kind of the part that we're the most kind of comfortable with. But when the Scriptures talk about salvation, they don't just talk about that. They also talk about a word, sanctification. Sanctification is the present, ongoing process of God's Spirit conforming us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you who have surrendered your life to Christ, this is a, this is a process that's happening every single moment of every single day. And we have a participation in that process. We can participate with God in that process. It involves our own effort in becoming more like Christ. It involves you waking up and reading the Bible to understand more about who God is. It involves you making the effort to pray and speak to God and also receive from God. It involves you taking the effort to come to church on a Sunday morning. It involves taking the effort to sing words. Sometimes they feel truer some days than others, but it takes effort to sing those words. It takes effort to align your priorities and your finance. It takes effort to share and love the community of people that God has surrounded you with. It takes effort to raise your children in a world that is discipling them to be opposed from God. It takes effort, and we cooperate with that effort. That's called sanctification. And then glorification is probably the one we don't talk about as much because honestly, as much as the world is a crazy place, we like this world. I, I woke up this morning, and even though it was raining outside, I got to walk in a building where it's not raining. And it's raining, which means it's going to grow some stuff. God is sustaining this planet with greenery, and there'll be flowers soon, which will drive me insane in one way because I'm going to be coughing and sneezing everywhere, but it's going to make me feel good in the other way because I'm going to see God's beauty on display. And I like the food that's here. Not just southern food. I just, I just really like food. Amen. Yes. But I just want you to think about it in this way. When we, when we see the word salvation in the Scriptures, just these three terms, and this isn't even the whole of salvation, but these three terms, justification, I have been saved. Sanctification, I am being saved. Glorification, I will be saved one day. I'll be removed from the presence of sin I won't have to worry about when I go to the grocery store, am I getting gluten-free flour or full-on, multiplied, overflowing, and abundant gluten-filled flour. I won't have to worry if something's organic or it was made by a chicken imported from some foreign place. I won't have to worry about any of that. I will just take in the fact that everything is good, that sin's mar and presence on all of our world will be gone. See, salvation encompasses all of those things, not just pieces of those things. And I think it's a challenge for us as we consider our salvation in the Lord to think about all of it and not just a piece. And I think specifically here, you, you get raised in, in church, you spend time in church, I think you really, one example of just missing a little bit of the salvation equation is that you, seek, you can see justification as the finish line like my, my name is in the Lamb's book of life. 
And that's it. Doesn't matter what I do, doesn't matter how I live. And I will just tell you, you're on dangerous ground if that's how you view faith. That is not how the scriptures define faith. The scriptures define faith as God has saved me. He is my Lord. I am subject to him. I want and desire to live my life in accordance with his ways. And by participating with him, I begin to more look like him every single day. That's salvation in the way the Bible describes it, not just a ticket to heaven. But I think some of us are challenged to view justification as the finish line, and anybody that becomes like Jesus is kind of getting extra credit. But the Bible says if you're not becoming like Christ, your faith may not be legitimate. And we'll have to talk through that. What does that mean? Well, the author, uh, the, if you've got your outline, I've got three things I want to talk to you about today. The offer of salvation includes first the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of sins. Now, this is, this is, this is the thing, okay? This is the thing. This is the thing I want to talk about. This is the thing I want to think about every day. This is the thing I want to remember the most. As I live my life and I wake up the next day and the next day and the next day, I got more and more and more sin that I'm carrying with me, and I want to know, I want to understand that Christ offers to me forgiveness of my sins. Because of Jesus, your sins can be forgiven. But why? Why do our sins need to be forgiven? I'll just tell you this. Here's what we believe as followers of Christ. God made the planet. I like to imagine as he was making the planets, he was spinning them around on his finger like a basketball. There's no scriptural evidence for that, okay? But that's what I believe. That, that song, you know, God made the world, he holds it in his hands. I'm, that's, that's what I think about. He's just, you know, Harlem Globetrotter in it uh, on his fingers. But if God made the world, he makes the rules. And the rules were, here's how you're supposed to live. And we didn't like that. We still don't like some of it. And so because he's the boss, he made it, he made all of us, he knows what's best for us, he knows how to operate, he made the rules, we broke the rules. We break the rules because we want to live life the way that we want to. Sometimes we're so good at this that we want to live life the way we want to, even though we know it's not even good for us. Anybody ever had extra dessert? You know that's not good for you. But it tastes good, and so I want to live life on my terms. I want to make my plate in the way that I want to make my plate. I want to talk the way I want to talk. And all of that sin, all of those ways in which we do not live our life in the way that God prescribes for us to live our life is sin. And that's rooted in two eternal desires. One is pride. We know what's best. We know what's best more than anybody else knows what's best. I know what's best. That's what I think all the time. I hear about South Carolina barbecue, and I'm from Memphis, where they hold the world championship of barbecue. So I think I know the best. And my barbecue business owning friends at this church, kindly listen to me and share maybe I don't know everything that's cracked up to be when it comes to barbecue, which is probably fair. But pride is the number one thing. And then also we have desires to please ourselves that may be contrary to doing what's best for the majority of the people around us. It's pleasure. 
We want to feel good. We think we know what's best, and we do what makes us feel good. And that's the root of sin. We don't know what's best. And sometimes what we do that feels good may not be what's actually good for us. And that's sin. That's, that's a very generic way to say that's sin. But here's the reality. God prescribed the instructions for us. He gets to. He's God. He made the place. It's his call on what to do. Not only that, but he sees you. He saw you before you were even a thought. He knew everything that you were going to do. He sees it all. But even more than just seeing the wrong things that you do outwardly through your body, he also sees into your brain and into your heart and recognizes not just what you do behaviorally, but also what motivates you internally. And sometimes some of us get the outer part a little bit better, but if everybody knew what was going on inside of us, we would not want people to know that. And God sees it all. In fact, the psalmist says this in Psalm chapter 130. He says this, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? That's a rhetorical question meant to be asked because everybody should know the answer. If God has a record of our sins, who can survive? No one. No one could survive. And here's the reality. God does keep a record. He keeps a record of every wrong that all of us have ever done. He keeps a record. Nothing passes by his sight that he does not notice, which in one hand is terrifying. On the other hand, if you've ever been sinned against, it brings you comfort that someone will get justice for the evil that they do in this world. What kind of God would he be if he just let it all go? If he just said, hey, I know I made this place. I know I made you. I know what's best for you. I know I've told you what's best for you. And then you decide to do something different and he just goes, ah, no big deal. What kind of God would that be? Would he be a God of truth? No. Would he be a God of justice? No. Would he be a God who's all powerful? No. He'd be impotent, weak, he would not be worthy of worship because his words don't really matter. But that's not the God we serve. He does bring justice. He does see all. He is holy and righteous. There is no evil in him at all. He's perfect. He is the utter perfection of all the things he says. He fully is all of those things. And he is powerful and he will bring justice and he is fair. He's all those things. And because of that, we're guilty. But the psalmist continues in this next verse, verse 4. But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I think some of us in this room sometimes see salvation and judgment as opposite of each other. That somehow these are opposed to one another. But I think salvation comes through judgment. Let me give you a couple examples. What do I mean by that? In the Old Testament, when the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians, God judged the Egyptians as doing evil in the Lord's sight. Do you all remember those stories? And he sent one of his own people to the Egyptian leadership and said, hey, leadership, you've displeased God. 
But God, in his benevolent love towards even you, his enemies, is granting you an opportunity to make this right. And he didn't just do that one time. Do y'all remember that? Y'all seen the movie? He did that a few times, multiple times. It kind of frustrated the Israelites a little bit that it took so long. But God judged what they did wrongly and then saved the Israelites by judging the Egyptians. And eventually, the Pharaoh and his armies drowned in the sea. He judged them rightly. They had done evil in his sight, and they were judged. But that's not the only instance in the Scriptures. I think about the Philistines. You know, David shows up delivering food. He was uh, doing Uber Eats, right? And he's bringing his Uber Eats to the army. They called in their order. He brought it, right? So he's showing up, and David's not frustrated that these people are just sitting on the hill. He's frustrated because the enemies of God are making fun of God. They're claiming that their God doesn't exist. They're claiming that their God has no power or authority over their lives. And David is looking not at the Philistines first. He's looking at the Israelites and going, what are you doing? Do you know God? Is no one going to stand up for our God who has saved our generations from slavery, who stepped in the gap for us, who rescued us from evil oppressors? And he looks at them and he says, not going to do anything? And David, little shepherd boy, little Uber Eats delivery guy, he says, I will stand for the Lord Almighty. And through David's obedience, delivers the Israelite people from the Philistines. God judged the Philistines as doing evil in his sight and saved the Israelites. And he also does it with his own people, the Israelites. He judges them and counts their sin against them. We cannot get to salvation without first understanding our sinfulness. In order to be saved, you got to be in danger. In order to be saved, you must be in need of rescue. And we are because of our own evil doing. Salvation for every believer, no matter their background, no matter their age, no matter what language they speak, no matter their socioeconomic status, are saved by the judgment that falls on Christ. All those things that make you not able to stand, teamed with all the things that make every human being not to stand in the sight of a holy and righteous God, all that wrath stored up for the evil that's been happening in our world was poured out onto Jesus. And he willingly accepted it on your behalf. The scripture explains it this way in Romans chapter 5. When we were utterly helpless, you could read that as in need of salvation, Christ came just at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were sinners. In other words, Christ came to die for us when we were no good. 
Jesus, through his birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection, was counted as a worthy high priest and offered himself up so that our sins might be forgiven. But that's not the only thing that salvation offers to us. Yes, we receive forgiveness for our sins because of the sacrifice of Jesus. But we also receive freedom through faith. Freedom through faith. So if you can think about this for a second. Think about like a chalkboard or a whiteboard or the young people in here, a tablet. And you got all your junk on there that you've ever done wrong. Jesus wipes it clean which is great and wonderful. But what happens when that gets wiped clean? What's left? Nothing. It's blank. So here's a question. And the thing that I think through, how do you become good? Because if those sins are just wiped over, and they are through the offer of Jesus, if they're just wiped over, we're just blank. We're just neutral. We got nothing. But Jesus doesn't just offer to wipe our bad stuff away, wipe our sins clean through his blood. Our sins are forgiven. He also confers onto us. He gives to us righteousness. So he takes your little whiteboard, or in my case, a large giant whiteboard the size of this auditorium, and he wipes it all clean. And then in the place of all those sinful things, are all the things that Christ has accomplished for us. Every single one of them. And when I come to heaven and I cross over and I reach the judgment seat of Christ, which we will all reach, I get to show my whiteboard that really is just like cheating on the test. I just get to show them all of Jesus' answers. Every one of them. And God looks at that and goes, you're good. You're good. In addition to our sins being covered over by the blood of Jesus Christ, we also receive new, good, righteous life. We get a new heart with new desires. We have things in us that if people knew us from before and we have saving faith, they look at us and go, what is going on with you? You you like didn't cuss in a situation I've seen you in hundreds of times. Like, what what are you doing? You didn't just yell, you left the room. It's like you're trying to control your anger. What is your problem? Are you okay? We are not just neutral as children of God. We are holy. We are righteous. We are good in God's sight. Imagine every day just waking up, just waking up. Just imagine, imagine it. The sun shines through your window as you're sitting on your bed and you wake up and the first thought in your head is, God loves me, he likes me, he's given me the power to accomplish everything that I need to accomplish in my life and he wants to be my friend. And there ain't no friend like Jesus. And every day as you approach every single situation, You don't have to think about guilt and shame over all the wrong you've done in your life because it's been paid for. And it's not just been paid for. Christ didn't just die for you as his enemy. He also wants to be your friend. He wants to give you his inheritance. 
Y'all got any friends like that? That's what Christ is offering to us. And imagine if you live that way, what would change about your life? How would you work differently? How would you parent differently? How would you pray differently? Like if you knew God was listening and was waiting to just answer your prayers, how would you pray? How would you share your faith realizing if you mess up your words, it's okay because God's still good. You didn't, you, you're okay. How would you manage your finances knowing maybe I need to save, maybe I need to give, maybe I need to risk some things that God's really put in my heart? How would you spend your time every day? Romans 6 explains it in this way. Now you're free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. I love that the author includes this next sentence. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. In other words, that didn't work out real well for you. Now, you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. You let this happen to you, now you get to choose. You let this happen to you, and it didn't work out, and now you have the freedom to choose something different. Don't miss that. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from obligation to do right. And what was the result of that? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that ended eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. We're not just free from the power of sin. We are also empowered to live righteous and holy lives. And we get to do it forever. So it's not just our standing with Christ. It's, it's not just the idea that we're, we're forgiven, we're clean, our slate is clean. But it is also we should walk as children of God. We should live with a freedom. Y'all ever met somebody who's a little too free? A little laissez-faire? Y'all know what I'm talking about? They just let it ride all the time? And you're like, sometimes the ride is not for you. You need to go to the admission stand and see if that ticket is available to you, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Do y'all talk to people? What is going on? Okay, just making sure. I'm like, I know some people that I'm like, hey, you might need to slow down a little bit, okay? But imagine the freedom that comes from living unto Christ, knowing you're standing with him every moment of every day. Imagine the freedom behind that. That's what Christ is offering. We're alive unto Christ. We are alive unto Christ. I don't want you to miss that. We're reconciled with him. We're a part of his family. We're made righteous. And the scriptures say we also are sharing in the message of that reconciliation. It says this, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. Against him. Why? Because he entered in as mediator. He took on the sins. So he's forgiving those sins. And he gave us, children of God, the wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. 
through you. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We are Christ's ambassadors. The idea is not only that Christ has wiped our slate clean, but he's given us goodness and holiness and righteousness to be ours. We are developing the fruit of the Spirit on a daily basis where we are living empowered by the Spirit to be a follower of Christ. And then we get to share it like Oprah giving out cars on her show. We're just throwing stuff out to people. Hey, God loves you and your sins can be forgiven. Could you imagine all the wrong things you've ever done displayed on the screen? Now imagine that God says to you, all those were erased and I'm replacing Jesus Christ's goodness with yours. The great exchange. We get to just delve that stuff out all the time. That's what God has asked us to do. I mean, I'm like, are you kidding me? I just get to go share that God loves them and they can be forgiven of their sins, but if they just surrender to Christ, if they place their faith in him, yeah. That's hard to mess up. You just get to go and give it. Not everybody wants it, but you get to go and give it. So how can we do that? What's a filter to kind of keep this in front of my purviews to make sure that this is something I'm trying to live out every day? Well, I learned this when I was a little kid, okay? Everybody say joy. Say it like you like to say it. That's better. Goodness, y'all, joy. (laughs) It's a happy word. Joy, okay? (laughs) But I learned this when I was a kid growing up in church. What's the filter? What's the priority list? Jesus, others, yourself. Jesus, others, yourself. Jesus, others, yourself. Now, there's an author who's talking about, somebody asked him as he's being interviewed about his book, which is basically how how people think today. Uh, It used to be you would clearly measure the worth of a man or a woman based on the things that they do. Do they keep their word? Do they live a life of integrity and character? Are they generous with their belongings? Are they hospitable in how they speak to you, how they listen and hear you, how they welcome you into their life? It used to be that's how we judge people. But now we have this idea in our heads that we have dreams and desires that nobody can see, and that's who we really are on the inside. It's not what I actually do, it's what I imagine myself doing. And we spend, I mean, we spend a lot of time thinking about that, right? We're imagining ourselves as these people all the time. And so he wrote a book about that. He called it Being an Expressive Individualist. An Expressive Individualist. And so they asked him, how, how do you, what does a church do when everybody sees himself as an expressive individualist? How can the church be effective? And he just says this. He says, we cannot simply argue our way to a win today. We need to demonstrate the power of what we profess in the way we live our lives. In other words, the people around you who are not followers of Christ are asking, is this legit? And they may not be using their words to ask. They may just be using their eyes and their ears. Is there really any power in this guy named Jesus Christ? That's what they're asking. That's what they're thinking about. Can he really change people? Can he really forgive my sins? And they're looking at you and saying, ambassador for Christ? Is there true power in the Christian way? And thankfully, the scriptures tell us there is true power. That power comes from the Holy Spirit. As we partner with God together in our sanctification, our obedience leads to a change in character. 
we become loving, patient, joyful people. And we get the strength to keep changing from God himself. We get that strength from him. He empowers us to do that. So if we want to see our family, our friends, our neighbors, strangers come to Christ, it's going to be through the power of Jesus working in and through your life. The offer of salvation also includes firm confidence, firm confidence. Now, I want to talk to this. I want to talk to you about this if you're a follower of Christ today. This is a big deal to me. This is a big deal to me, what I'm about to explain. I don't think this gets talked about a lot. I think we understand the offer that Jesus makes, that he'll exchange his life for ours. I think we can understand, at least partially, that our sins are being offered to be forgiven by God. But the Bible talks about this, this term called assurance. Assurance. What is it? The assurance of salvation is the certainty that a person's faith is valid. They have a firm confidence in their standing with Jesus Christ. And the Scriptures call us to actually make an effort in knowing whether we are a child of God or not. Did you know that? 2 Peter 1.10 says this, So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. But I think there are a lot of people that have professed to know Christ and they don't walk around in confidence. They don't walk around with a firm conviction that Jesus' sacrifice was enough for their life. And listen, I'll, I'll be honest with you. This, this is an ebb and flow process. Experientially, it's ebb and flow. Yesterday, I'm watching my oldest son play basketball, and he's a little baller. He did not get that from dad, but he's a little baller. And I can just, I feel it as he's handling the ball, coming down the court, and he's getting pushed, shoved, touched, breathed on, depending on your perspective. And I can feel inside of me frustration as there are fouls not being called. I can feel it. I can feel it. Anybody, anybody resonate with me? It's rising out of your gut. And at one point in time, I get so frustrated, I have to stand up and walk out. I'm a pastor here. And I didn't say anything at that point in time. I did look at the referee in his eyeballs. But listen, years ago, I may have spit fire like a dragon. I have, in the past, at Brookwood Church, in the basketball leagues here, received technical fouls as both a player and a coach. I was right both times. But I'm not feeling as sure after I recognize my anger and frustration getting the best of me. And if you're like me, you miss Christ's mark a lot. And so how can you be confident that you're a child of God when you know yourself real well and you know your own sinfulness? So I, I just want to give you three things. You don't have to write them down because I, I hope you'll pay attention to these three things, okay? And they're in order of priority, which means first is most important, 
Second is next important. Third is least important, although still important. Okay? First, we must consider the source of our salvation. Remember how we talked about at the beginning how God made the world, he makes the rules? Well, the whole idea of salvation got dreamed up by him. It's not new. It started in the beginning. Yeah, he got them out of the garden, but do you remember what he did? He covered up their sin right at the beginning with the flesh of an animal. Right at the beginning of the story, in the first instance of sin, entering the earth, God already covered over someone's sin. He made it up. He knew we would choose wrong. He knew it. But love allowed the opportunity to choose the wrong thing. And then he covered over that gap. So he dreamed it up. Not only did he dream it up, he also fulfills the requirements. Jesus came. God's son came. Lived the law completely perfectly. Fulfilled every commandment. Every prophecy was true. And then he died in your place. He chose to do that. He didn't ask you. We were all dead when he came to the earth. He didn't ask any of y'all whether that was the right thing to do or not. He decided to do that, knowing that there would be many more human beings come and that they should be reconciled with God if they have an opportunity. And then not only that, but God then gives his spirit to tell you, here's what's happening in your life. Ding, 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 ding. You're experiencing sin and guilt and shame. There's a reason why. You're not supposed to live that way. Oh, I don't know the right thing to do. Ding, 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 ding. Here's the right thing to do. All that doesn't have anything to do with you. All of that has to do with God. So you consider the source of your salvation, that Jesus Christ live a morally perfect and righteous life in the sight of God. Hebrews said, became our worthy high priest, and his sacrifice was chosen to be good by God. He was the first fruit sacrifice, as the Scriptures would say. And it's all accepted by God, so we're good. So when you're feeling especially jacked up, sinful, broken, ashamed, remember the source of your salvation. Christ loves you, and he's given himself for you, even when you were a sinner, even when you were his enemy. He gave himself for you, and he loved to do it. He loved to do it. He didn't do it begrudgingly. He was pumped. He was like, you know what this is going to mean for people? They're going to have my spirit inside of them. That's why you can look at the disciples and say, someone's better is coming. The helper is coming for you. He was pumped about that. He wasn't sad. So remember the source of your salvation. And I say it in this way. You know, Jesus was very clear that he could see people's faith and how much they had. Do you all know this? Matthew chapter 6, he said to the people listening, he said, Oh, ye of little faith. That's a measurement, little faith. He also, in Matthew chapter 8, talked to the Roman centurion. He said to the Roman centurion, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. That's a measure of faith too. So let me ask you a question. Was it the O ye of little faith or the great faith that was saved by God? Both of them, if their faith was in Jesus Christ. The scriptures tell us that faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. 
So you're going, I don't have faith. Ask God to grow your faith, but also recognize Jesus' sacrifice is enough. That's the most important. Second, the Spirit's witness. The Spirit's witness. The Scriptures tell us that when we are followers of Jesus Christ, when we've surrendered our lives to Him, that the Spirit indwells us, unites with us. We are in union with God. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters into our heart and restores the relationship with God. We become a new creature and a new creation. We have an eternal destiny in heaven with God because of that. And then the Scriptures tell us that God's Spirit will testify and let us know if we're a child of God or not. Romans 8, 16, for the Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm we are God's children. Now, I wanted to put this as like 1A and 1B, right? They're both extremely important. So why put this secondary important? Because it's just like prayer. Y'all ever prayed and felt like God said something to you, and then later on you found out maybe he didn't say that as well as you thought he said it? Maybe you didn't listen as well as you thought you did? Anybody ever experienced that? Come on, somebody give me a testimony. Come on. So, Yes, the Spirit does say yes or no, you're a child of God. But listen, we're real good at this sin thing. We'll cover over all our guilt if we have to. And that's up to us. We, we, we will close our ears off to what God may have to say to us sometimes. But I think that's secondary, most important for us in this situation of assurance. The last is this, a supernatural change. Supernatural change. We will, not should, we will change as followers of Jesus Christ. The Scriptures are clear. Your faith, if it is true saving faith, will change you. No questions asked. The measures to which it changes you here on this earth may be up to your cooperation with God's Spirit. But it will change you. And so we should experience a supernatural change. When I'm feeling frustrated, it's a right and good question to ask, has God really changed my frustration? Has he changed my ability to control my anger? Anger is not a fruit of the Spirit. Am I exercising this in the right way? Are there practices I need to cooperate with God's Spirit in helping me deal with my anger and frustration? And then insert whatever your thing is. That's just mine. What am I doing to deal with that? How am I participating with God in that? Am I changed by God? We should become like Christ. And we will become more like him if we have true saving faith. The measure to which we mature into likeness is our cooperation. But if you're not changing, if you can't look back and go, nothing's different, that puts you on rocky ground. But it's also the last one when it comes to assurance. Because we're jacked up from the floor up. Fair? I want you to see today that faith is more than the forgiveness of your sins. Faith is more than you being adopted into the family of God and your name being forever changed. Faith is more than wanting to be a part of a community where you share your stuff openly in front of a crowd of thousands of people. You hear what I'm saying to you? You share that stuff because God says, I'm good. You're good, JC. You're good. It's, it's good. Jesus is enough. It's more than all those things 
And it's all of those things put together. If that's you, and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, if you're carrying the debt, the sin, if you're carrying hurt from someone else inflicting something upon you, Christ is offering salvation to you today. We're going to have care volunteers down front. And man, if that's you, don't let today go by. You can do it down front, in front of everybody, or you can go back to the Care Connection room. We'll have people there that want to talk to you and want to benevolently share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, or you think you are, and you want assurance, you want confidence, you want firmness in your faith, come down front and talk to somebody and share. Ask God for more faith. Ask God for that assurance. Listen to the Spirit's witness in your life. Look to Jesus first and foremost, not your own merit. If you are a believer struggling with this idea of assurance, I'm going to ask you to pray with somebody today. Let's pray. God, the offer of salvation, if I took six weeks to explain it all, is way more than my explanation. And you are so, so good to us. Lord, I pray if there's someone in here today, right now, they're being called by God to surrender their life to him. I pray that they would take a step of bravery and courage and that they'd confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in their heart that Christ has raised him from the dead. And according to your word, they're saved. God, I pray that they would share that. The scriptures say if we would profess that publicly in front of people, God, that you'll profess us publicly in front of the kingdom. So, Lord, I pray you'll help people as they need to take that step today. I pray also, God, for those who may be struggling with assurance, and I pray that you would firm their faith, that you would let them know if they are or are not a member of your family, and that they would make that right today. And, Lord, I pray for us, God, help us not to forget the benefits of our salvation. Help us in the midst of our daily lives to rejoice that we are good and right in your sight and that you want us to be your friends. It's in the name of Christ we pray these things and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for being here. We are so grateful that you joined us for today's episode of the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This week's ministry spotlight shines on Brookwood Recreation, where you're invited to participate in flag football from April 2nd through May 18th at our South Campus. This program offers kids in grades 5K through 6 the chance to learn football in fun, competitive, Christ-centered environment without the physical contact of the sport. They'll develop their skills, run plays, and have a blast, all while growing closer to Christ. Learn more and register at brookwoodchurch.org slash ministry spotlight. We also invite you to join us for a collective night of worship on Friday, February 23rd from 7 to 9 in the Brookwood Church Auditorium. This powerful event will bring together choirs and praise teams from Fellowship Greenville, City Lights, Kingdom Life, Summit Church, and Brookwood Church, uniting our voices as we lift up the name of Jesus. For those following along in our series, Jesus at the Center of Freedom, don't forget about the daily devotional companion available on the Brookwood Church app. Spend daily time with God and share the devotions with friends and family through text, email, or social media. Thank you again for joining us today. We eagerly look forward to having you for our next episode of the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Have a great week.